0: back to the true folk podcast episode seven my name is matt and this week we have binghamton musician devin myers on the show we talked a little bit about her background the importance of community engagement some tricks for reaching new fans and the album that she's been working on it was a great discussion we're really excited about it and here it is my conversation with devin myers When did music solidify itself as something you knew you would carry with you through life?
1: Ooh, good question. So, I mean, when I was a kid, Music was a huge part of my life at home. My mom would jam out to Pat Benatar, Bonnie Tyler. Uh, she had Celine Dion. She had Alanis Morissette. She really loved The Power of Women, and I kind of related to that at a young age. I also loved poetry as a kid and art, so it was kind of something that was a part of me. I rejected it a little bit in my early adulthood because I wanted to see what I was without music and decided that I wasn't happy without it, so I went back to it's kind of been this ebb and flow throughout my life the most recent kind of like aha this is what you're supposed to do was about a year ago I was going through some some personal stuff and hadn't gigged out for a couple months and finally had a show and I was getting really anxious about it and I almost didn't want to do it I was just having an off day. I made myself do it and I was glad I did. Once I was there, I realized and I remembered like how therapeutic it is for me and just amazing. And I could be having the worst day and music is just something to me that's personally very healing. Yeah, yeah music is therapy.
0: <laughs> it's always interesting when it's like a family affair to see if people, cause they either go one way or the other with it, fully embracing it or just outright, like, nah, that's not for me. But so do you have like a personal philosophy on the why or the function of songwriting i mean you said it's therapy for you
1: yeah it's free therapy but also too it's a way to connect with people on a level that otherwise in regular conversation you might miss it especially in a live scene it's really special when you can kind of read the crowd and they can kind of read you and what i feel like when i'm singing a song I feel like somebody's listening to me as opposed to this back and forth kind of like you know how you'll be in an argument with somebody or you're trying to persuade somebody to view your perspective on things I feel like with music it's just a way to music doesn't really know parties or religion or what you ate for breakfast or anything other than that moment when you're listening to somebody kind of pour their heart out in their own special way and it's this intimate connection that otherwise might be lost.
0: Is that your your best case scenario for when someone hears your music is just an open, neutral plane for communication?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Best case scenario. What do you mean? As opposed to like worst case scenario, like heckling or?
0: I mean, I guess. Like, (laughs) I feel like most artists, when they write a song or they perform a song, they have at least some sort of general idea of when people hear this, I would love X, Y, or Z to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, as a performer, and I, I perform everywhere in terms of like the type of venue. I do bars, cafes festivals every venue is different so it's kind of whatever vibe they're going for sometimes people just want to relax and have a good time and have some nice background music and it's a nice addition other times it's okay I'm gonna listen to this one person play music for two hours intently uh, like at Cyber Cafe in those kind of venues where it provides a space for that to happen like a listening space so it depends really as long as somebody is enjoying or being entertained really ultimately that's what i care about and i would hope for them to enjoy life however and whether it means i'm in the background or whether you know i'm performing in front of hundreds of people to me it's are they satisfied in one way or another
0: now if you could write a song anyone living or dead who would you write a song with
1: i'd love to write a song with Linda Perry I'd love to raise song with Alanis Morissette also John Lennon and I'd kind of like to pick the brain of Beethoven and Townes Van Zandt
0: yeah that would be an interesting collab with Beethoven right I would love to hear the result of that one
1: yeah like what I love about Beethoven is he's kind of the original emo guy Before his music, everything was written for either the church or royalty or for the crowd. And Beethoven said, no, I'm gonna write music for me. So that's why I really resonate with him, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I always liken Beethoven to like the Zeppelin of his time, because whenever you hear music by either of them, you know it's them. And nothing was ever (laughs) the same afterwards.
1: Beethoven actually wrote a lot of horrible music. Oh yeah? Yeah, I I learned this in college. He had a lot of tunes that never left his room.
0: Where can you hear his Beethoven's Terrible? Well, this
1: was particularly in the archives at uh, the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I used to go to school there. So, specifically, we had that library, that music library. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's something I never would have known or guessed. We have like a very rose colored view of composers from that area.
1: Yeah, we do. Because it's what has transcended through history, you know, is the good stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, has your view of the music industry or just how music functions in society changed at all over the past like five or 10 years?
1: It's changed, but by that I mean my, muse- my view of the music industry now has changed only because I've learned more along the way. When I first started out, I was kind of this girl with a dream. Okay, let's do this. It's going to be, you know, fun. And just learning things along the way of how the business runs. Now, by in the last 10 years, do you mean how it's changed in the past 10 years?
0: I mean, it seems as though just more and more it's become more and more accessible over the even even the past five years
1: oh absolutely i personally love it it's a double-edged sword again but in terms of where before musicians could make money off of record sales that's pretty much dissipated at this point unless you're looking for you know a special edition vinyl or you know some track that's otherwise not found anywhere else again going back to my philosophy of music and why i do it and it's having that connection so ultimately if you The industry now is making that easier for people worldwide, not even just, you know, in Broom County, in Binghamton, in New York, or wherever I play. It can be reached across the world. That's amazing to me and you know i embrace that fully
0: now because music like you said it's kind of a double edged sword in in a lot of ways because music is so accessible now do you think that the listener kind of takes music for granted more than ever
1: i don't i don't know about taking it for granted i would say it's become more of everyday life which I find that to be a great thing, so, I mean, others, I don't know what others' views are, but I guess, yeah, that would be how I'd view it. It's more of a part of everyday life, and I love that, so.
0: (laughs) And sometimes on the internet, someone will drop a record and there'll be all kinds of comments on on YouTube or like people will review it and you'll see, you know, everything from this is this change in my life to this is terrible. And if you listen to like most records that come out, like, have you ever heard a bad band? Like these records aren't terrible. Maybe it doesn't resonate with that comment or necessarily. Why do you think people are so harsh with their judgments?
1: I think it comes to the human condition. Ultimately, you know, and I've learned over the years, even if something isn't necessarily you know, my flavor of music, which actually is becoming less and less of an issue now. Now I just appreciate anything just because I can empathize, you know, and, and to be in that creative space in general, to come up with something that nobody's heard of before is amazing. <laughs> what was the, what were we talking about? Why
0: are people so mean, essentially? <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, I think that's the human condition. And I think ultimately we're our own worst critics, but just don't listen to those people. I think they want a reaction out of you. And the thing is that really hurts when you allow that negativity to come in, it hurts creativity because you're always second-guessing yourself. You know, what if they think that? What if they think this? At the end of the day, there's people who hate the Beatles. There's people who hate Metallica. There's people who hate Bruno Mars. You can't control what others think. You can't control how others act. So that's a hard. That's a life lesson, pretty much. Stop pleasing everybody.
0: Now, you used to play in a group called East Coast Bigfoot. How was working on that project versus just writing on your own different?
1: Well, that was my very first band, and I learned a lot from that in general. Uh, we were basically a roots rock band, so there was Ty Wetbeck on the drums, Stefan Schweitzer on the bass, Ricky Ruschianetti on the lead guitar, Tazionic for a stint. These are all local musicians, and I was on lead vocals, I was a songwriter and playing rhythm guitar. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about booking. I learned a lot about merch. I learned a lot about the energy between band members and the connection that we each have and what we each bring to the table. And it was definitely a wonderful learning process. So that song Upside Down that I played for you guys, that one is on the East Coast Bigfoot EP that is still up on Bandcamp.
0: And when you decided to break out on your own, did you know that you would write under your own name or is there a reason that you chose to forego the moniker?
1: I've been going under my own name since before East Coast Bigfoot, ever since I started my YouTube channel really and I started doing music. I have a pretty unique name anyway, so I was like, yeah, I I don't think anybody's got my name, so let's just go with it, so that's what I did. Like, why change it if it's already different?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest part is finding something. First of all, thinking of a name and then finding one that nobody has ever thought of. So
1: I'm pretty blessed with a mother who came up with like a pretty rad name.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, totally. It works. Now you play out a lot. It seems like you're very active, just live performing. Do you have any general advice for any musicians coming up who want to put themselves out there? How to book more gigs?
1: Get yourself out there. And the big reason why I play out so much is to gain the experience. It's a way to get your name out there but also have fun meet new people you never know who's listening and you never know you know whose life you'll touch or you know so yeah I I just get out there have fun make sure it's fun if it's not fun and you're miserable then what's the point (laughs) you know and this is just speaking from experience but yeah definitely get out there get the confidence whether it's posting videos on Facebook for your friends to listen and kind of critique or you know support you or if it's going out to open mics There's a lot of really great open mics in the area. Cyber Cafe puts on one, Belmar puts on one, I think Uncle's Place does. There's just a ton of venues that, that's how I got started was the open mic scene. It really not only helped my performance and helped get kind of the jitters out, but it also put me in touch with other musicians, which I think is huge. Feed off the energy of those guys, go to the people who've been doing it for a while, kind of pick their brains.
0: That's another life lesson is just get out the door because as right. music making tools have become more accessible, we have so many bedroom musicians.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, but I there, was a bedroom musician. Yeah,
0: I mean, we've, we've all started there, yeah. but like getting out the door, like things start to happen that you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect. It's a way to, I don't know, just kind of jumpstart everything. And I know that Mitski and like Regina Spector talk about their early days just playing a lot of shows to people who just didn't care. And they're such strong live performers because they went through essentially the worst case scenario where not only were people indifferent, but it's like maybe no people weren't into what they were hearing. So if you start from there, you can only go up and it strengthens you.
1: definitely, agreed.
0: Now in past interviews, and we're welcome to talk about this as well, we've talked about how the album can change and adapt to, I guess, the changing expectations and needs of a media centric world, but how does an indie musician or local musician make their live show compelling enough to not only get people to leave their house and leave Netflix and leave the internet, but pay money? Like how how do they do that?
1: It's a great question. <laughs> How to get them out the door.
0: And draw is like, that's probably right. the number one tussle. that. You know, MDs it depends on your hard.
1: marketing. You know, you want to put, you want to make sure it's marketed well, whether it be, you know, on Facebook or, you know, on, there's a bunch of websites that you could put the event in, put it on, Press and Sun Bulletin has their weekly events page. It's a definitely a creative process. It's like, what should I do? How do I do this? I found that my most well-attended or responded shows have been in a place where I feel like I'm entertaining them and they feel like they're entertained. So if I can somehow... The reason I'm stumbling on this is because I'm still trying to well, figure that n- nobody out.
0: Nobody has it figured out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the reason I think mainly is because like you said, the industry is changing. Everything's on the internet. There's always some new social media thing or this, that, and a third, a different way people are doing it. I tend to look at how my idols, or I wouldn't say idols, but people that I look up to and I respect well in the music industry, how are they doing it? Okay, maybe I should do that. And also too, talking with you know there's there's a lot of really good marketing professionals in the Binghamton area and it's become such a thing where it's not just music that needs to put it out there it's local businesses uh, cafes restaurants bars the most popular bars tend to have the biggest social media presence are they posting every day are they engaging their audience are they making things new and fun and exciting But yeah, and that's really funny, too, because as a musician, as a creative person, it's whereas before in the industry where you could kind of just do music and do your own thing and then somebody would swoop in and do all that work for you. It's the other way now. It's like you gotta do you gotta do all that work. You have to market. You gotta do a Facebook page. You gotta build your own website. You have to make your own EPK. You have to get some professional photography. You have to do things like this, you know, uh, to kind of get your name out there. It's a lot more grassroots, which I think is fun, honestly. Creativity is funny because marketing does have a lot of creativity in it, and once you get into it, it's fun. And it's kind of addicting. Yeah. But there are times when I'm like, hmm, what should I post? Today. I know I have to post something. I don't know what the heck to say. So, but yeah, it's interesting because it's something that I think a lot of musicians are still trying to figure out because this has all just happened within the past five to ten years where we've had to like really push forward on the marketing on our own end. But it's also cool because before you'd have to come up with a mailing list and you'd have to print flyers out and hand them out just to get a mailing letter out, get a like a weekly or monthly newsletter with your shows. Like it costs money. stamps and paper and all that stuff, now it's a lot easier <laughs> and cheaper. So I'm thankful for that. But yeah, it's a different world now.
0: And marketing, I think, is something that people take for granted, because if you're not into it, you might think, oh, you just make a post and then it gets the word out. But it's not necessarily that simple. And it, it's funny you say the local paper thing, because I think that's kind of an underrated avenue that not a yeah. lot of people take advantage of.
1: Especially our generation, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we're kind paper? of
1: alienated from newspapers. It's, it's sad. It's an avenue too where especially if you're looking for like a local community kind of scene you have to think about where these people are reading their media and not everybody is on Facebook believe it or not there's some people who still read the paper and that's how they get their news and that's okay how do we reach those people
0: and maybe those people who still read the paper are a little bit more engaged in the community, so they're more likely to come to your shows. It's
1: true. Big example is the Carousel newspaper. It's an independent arts, you're familiar with it. It's an independent arts and culture magazine in the Binghamton area, Triple Cities. And what's cool is you know the readers of that magazine, you know that audience are automatically involved in the scene more so than others because they just bothered to pick up that paper and read it and they're interested in their local community. So yeah, tap into the different audiences of the different sources of media.
0: Yeah, even just get outside your your regular social circle. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of which, some folks in the Binghamton area, and I think this is a thing in really any city, have had the experience, and maybe you've had a different experience, where the different scenes within the creative community are kind of compartmentalized by genre. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if you've had that experience. Oh yeah, Um, oh yeah. Why?
1: I think it's just yeah it, it is very interesting I don't really know why maybe it's we tend to gravitate towards what we relate to you know there's different genres of music for a reason everybody's different but you're right it is compartmentalized there's gonna be another one of those questions where I have to think this one out <laughs> before <laughs> well, there's no
0: like there's no clear-cut answer I
1: it is something that's interesting because for example I you know my first shows were out on the west side I was very involved and gravitated very well to folk and Americana and old time music and singer-songwriter acoustic kind of acts and once I got out of that bubble I was shocked because I thought this was the only music (laughs) scene And then I branched out and it was like, oh, duh. You know, there's, we have a punk scene. We have a metal scene. We have a jazz scene. We have a funk scene. We have an R&B scene. We have a rap scene. We have a soul scene. We have so many scenes. <laughs> yeah, people, I guess people just gravitate towards what they like and it depends on the person. And I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of kind of like, oh, well, this is the one genre I, I like. So I'm gonna listen to this over and over again. And to take the time to listen to others has been probably the one of the best things I've ever done for my creativity as a writer because I'm hearing sounds that I otherwise would not hear and I think as a musician and this is what I've learned over the last few years is listen to something you wouldn't normally listen to listen to something that at first you know kind of jars you in a way just because it's not what you're used to because more often than not you're going to hear a sound and you're going to say whoa that's a cool sound how do I translate that in my work I think that's the best best answer to being a creative person is to make yourself think outside the box and look at what other people are doing and be open to it.
0: Yeah. And once you do start digging into the different scenes, maybe around your city, what you'll find is that they all have the same values and they all have the same Mm -hmm. ambitions and hopes for the collective creative scene. So maybe everyone has a little bit more in common than they they thought they did.
1: Absolutely. And I think too, like on on a world perspective and just in general life, to get yourself outside of the box of people you normally hang out with force yourself to hang out with people you don't know. People who whether they have a different religion or a different culture, they're from a different country, or they went to a different school, or they wear different sneakers than you do. <laughs> I don't know, pick their brain, like figure out, you know, oh hey, like try to learn where they're coming from. If anything, just to educate yourself.
0: And maybe like that's the that's the overarching just life lesson in general is whether you're trying to book more shows or just expand your scene's uh, reach is just maybe in intentionally and thoughtfully shaking yourself out of your own cocoon and then seeing where that takes you. Absolutely. Now, do you have anything that in the works that you're going to release?
1: Yes. So I have a new album coming out. It's called Silver Line. So the song I performed for you earlier called The Day Is New, that is a song, it's kind of the title track to this album. So first and foremost, I'm working with Joe Austin from Milkweed. He's got a studio in Nineveh and Johnny Hart Studios. And we're working really hard on that. Right now, recording has kind of ceased a little bit just because... It's summertime, and we're all, like, this is music busy time, uh, as I like to call it. Music busy time. I've never called that before. <laughs> well, <laughs> did,
0: like, you will now just from now out. on. Yeah.
1: Music busy time. <laughs> Yeah, so we're finishing that up, and that's due out in 2018, so stick around for that. Really excited about it. And the project, it's my first full-length studio album, so that's one thing to look forward to. Another thing to look forward to is Beautiful Artwork by Martin Shamanpour. He's a local artist. Um, but yeah, and to collaborate with Joe again, he was the one who worked on my East Coast Bigfoot album, so we have that familiarity and kind of camaraderie with that, and so I'm comfortable with him in that area uh, and confident in his abilities, so that's really good, and it's just a lot of fun and especially the people that are on the album, I absolutely astounded and thankful and fortunate for the talent that's on there. Michael Wu, he plays bass with Kid Bass in the Magic Ring, he also plays bass with the Gun Poets he's on that album. We've got Cooper Casterline, excellent drummer he plays uh, with Mike Davis in the Laughing Buddha episodes now um, as well as a couple other bands I think one is Triple Down
0: Yeah, he seems to get around a lot. Yeah,
1: and those are kind of like the main, the core, I would say, just because the drums, bass, sound engineer, that's kind of the the core of it. But we're going to add musicians in, and I'll be naming them as they come out. But it's really exciting. And the theme of the album is kind of this, the theme is pain, as uh, optimistic as that sound. Why is she so excited about pain? Follow my Facebook page if you want to learn more about it. (laughs) Not to shameless self-promote, but also I can't even really describe it in just like one go. I think I've written some things about it. But yeah, essentially the human condition and pain and how we we deal with it and shedding light on human topics, I think is really important, like depression, anxiety, mental disorders, ugly life things like cancer or not just physical ailments or mental ailments, but just just bad days in general, bad days and and things. And I think that, It's important to shed light on it because especially when it comes to the matter of mental health, the best way to aid and relief of those everyday mental battles that you put yourself through, I think the number one antidote is connection and and letting people know that you deal with it too. Because I think when it comes to depressed people, they think they're alone and that's the furthest from the truth and that's kind of my goal with this.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that's important. We will definitely be looking out for that one. And if people want to keep up to date with the record or just anything you're doing, where can they find you?
1: So I have a website. It's devinmyers.com, And then my handle for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at Devin's Music. So I'm sure if you're watching or listening to this podcast, you'll see how my name is spelled. However, it's spelled at Devin's Music.
0: Thank you to Devin for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. If you haven't checked out the live performances we captured from this session, I highly recommend that you go to our website and watch all three of those performance videos. Look for the links in the show notes. Speaking of which, I want to give a special thank you to Alyssa Micha for filming those videos and Michael Meecha not only for hosting us at Abandoned Studios, but for engineering the session. If you'd like to stay updated on all of our future content, you can find us at truefolktv.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at True Folk TV. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you next next time on the true folk podcast